Core Confidence Life. Life. Welcome to the Core Confidence Life Personal Development Podcast. I am your host, Dennis, broadcasting right here in your earlobe here in New York City. If you want to get in touch with me slash us, all you've got to do is follow us on social media. So you can just hit me up, Dennis R. Sumlin. Uh, and of course, on the gram, Instagram, follow us over there. Also, Twitter. And YouTube and Clubhouse. You can find us on those places and other places too. If you want to know more about the podcast, how to be a guest, and you know, just go to cclpodcast.com. If you want to leave feedback, right? Leave feedback. Anything you hear on the podcast about any guests, anything I say, questions you want to ask or answer or something, right? CCL Podcast. Right from that page, you can actually record a message to us right there from the from the page, from that landing page, and we'll get it. Just say if you want it to be public or private. Absolutely. You know what else you can do when you go to coreconfidencelife.com? All right. You can sign up to get a nice numerology reading. I will get together with you and we will Take an overview of your numbers that your birthday contains. Look at some of the energies and challenges that you have, and you'll tell me where you're trying to get to in your journey towards self-confidence, whether that be in relationships or intimacy or just general self-confidence. We'll talk about that. We'll look at your numbers, and we'll take the next steps as appropriate. CoreConfidenceLife.com all right, on today's program, we are speaking to author and PhD, Betty Kovic, and we're talking about altered states of consciousness and the spiritual journey. So, you know, if the uh, mainstream religions do not appeal to you, all right, and if a pure kind of cold scientific eye doesn't appeal to you, There is that alternative road, the third road of spirituality, getting in touch with the God-given gifts that you have installed inside of you, installed, right? Like software that uh, you came out of the manufacturer with. And on today's program, I'm talking to author uh, Betty Kovic, and we're going to talk about her books, about um, death, life, spiritual recreation. And we're going to get into what is altered states of consciousness. What is the road to your individual uh, spiritual truth? We're going to dive deep into all that theories, science, spirituality, and much, much more coming up on the program. Don't forget to tell your friends. And we here on Core Confidence Life, we After these messages, we will be white black. Hi, I'm Charlene Bowden, host of the It's Just Us radio show, president and founder of It's Just Us Productions. It's Just Us Productions is a cross-media company that produces radio and TV programs that are heard and seen by national and international audiences. Visit our website at ijuproductions.com, follow us on social media, and tune in on the first and third Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the It's Just Us radio show on the Artist First radio network. Hey, Betty, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I am doing well. So tell me about Altered States of Consciousness. Tell everyone a little bit about you. What do you do? What are you a PhD in? And what is Altered States of Consciousness? What is that? At the state of Virginia, what is that? (laughs) Okay. Well, I spent my life, most of my life, uh, studying and then teaching uh, in college. And I started teaching in the 60s. And the 60s were somewhat like today. I mean, everybody was questioning, students were questioning everything. And so I taught comparative literature 
Oh, but I taught mythology. I started a course in mythology and symbolic language, which, as some have said, mythology is a study of someone else's religion. <laughs> it certainly is about spiritual traditions of the world. And the students and I just started learning all kinds of things. It was very exciting <laughs> in those years. And so I continued to study and teach. And when I went to get my PhD, I did get it in comparative literature, but also symbolic language, because I really wanted to understand the theories of symbolic language. What's it all about? Uh, where did the symbols come from? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I learned a great deal in the university, but I learned uh, perhaps even more <laughs> on my own about symbolic language, because uh, it, symbolic language really is the language of dreams, of visions, and of course, they find their way into fairy tales and myths. So what are altered states of consciousness? Uh, we have known about this, our species from, the, from about 40,000 BCE. And altered states is exactly that. It's uh, altering our ordinary consciousness that we need to buy groceries and live in the world. But it's, we have, uh, as it's sometimes been uh, described, we are all in and of universal consciousness, but we have a valve that limits that vast knowledge so that we can live everyday life. But we need to learn as human beings, as a species, we have to learn, we did learn very early and then forgot, and it was suppressed, how to open that valve so that we can experience more of this universal consciousness that we all are. So that would be altered states, and there are many levels of them. That's the universal consciousness, which we all are a part of. Exactly. Uh, we are it. <laughs> that's right. We all come from source. I always say yeah, we, we come from source. We're in fragments here on Earth, but that's kind of a semi-illusion because we all come from source, and uh, we have the power um, that source has because we come from that. Yes, and we're like a, a hologram because every little piece has the wholeness in it. Yes. Now that now that's powerful, folks. Listen to this. That's very powerful. <laughs> Every piece has the wholeness within it. That's that's great stuff. So, all right. So tell us more about this. When you, how did you get into this? Like, what what interested you in diving into this metaphysical uh, field? I guess the metaphysical science. I guess they call it now. What uh, what first piqued your interest in all this? I think as a kid, I grew up with a brother who was three years older, and we just played all day long. We were out in the country, and we were just always wondering, you know, children ask all kinds of questions, and we would ask questions. We'd try to figure out the answers, and we would, I remember my brother one time uh, went up to my mother, and he said, you know what I'm going to do when I get to heaven? I'm First thing I'm going to do is walk right up to God, and I'm just going to ask how come all this anyhow. And so I think that was kind of the question we had, you know. And uh, I remember we used to play a game, uh, what if there wasn't a world, <laughs> you know. And we would try to do that, think that, try to imagine what it would be of nothingness, <laughs> which, of course, just as we thought we got there, the whole world came back in on us. But I think that just as children, being out in nature and playing, uh, we naturally questioned everything, you know, like, what if all of this wasn't here? <laughs> and so those questions continued. And when I was older, I, of course, heard the religion story, and that seemed beautiful. I learned a lot in Sunday school about a man called Jesus and the ethical, honest, loving way of life. But when I heard more about the Christian story, which was in our culture mainly dominant, uh, I had a lot of questions. And I finally came to realize I couldn't believe something. I wanted to know it for myself. I wanted to experience it. And there were no, no techniques taught in the church I attended or the churches that I attended. So I also heard the science story, and that was really grim. That was a story that told us that we're really nothing, uh, that there's nothing but matter in the universe. We are matter, we're a fluke of nature, and there's no meaning and no purpose, and when we're dead, we're dead. Well, I hope that wasn't true, but I didn't know. I didn't know whether the religion story was true. I didn't know whether the science story was true. So I then spent my life trying to find answers to what really was true. 
And uh, I came to realize uh, a lot through the study of history. I wanted to know what our ancestors had experienced. Uh, but ultimately, I, I could say that I knew certain things only because I had experienced these things within the visionary world, within consciousness. Yeah, you know, you're you're perfect to talk to me here because we're on the same page when it comes to uh, the interest in the cosmos and the, the coming from source and also not really resonating with this religious thing, this Christian thing, the Abraham religion thing. Yeah, yeah that just didn't. Yeah, it didn't it never really made sense to me. I never really resonated with it. Um, oh, that's that's it. Didn't make sense. <laughs> no, I, I never resonated with it. And I knew and it's funny you bring up the science aspect of it. What people forget about science is that quantum physics is also science. So, you, yeah, you look into science. Oh, we're all just nothingness and we're all going to just dissipate. Mm, quantum physics has a little bit more to say about that. Oh, so, it, yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> so you can have a scientific point of view and and get and and get close to the edge of spirituality and then you'll be able to make that leap if you want to some people who are who just don't want to make that leap they may be scared of what it might mean well it's true um we do have to uh let go of our fear but quantum physics i love what paul levy who's a buddhist and a therapist said he said quantum physics is our dream to heal ourselves we had a very limited science for several centuries. And I talk about that in my book, Merchants of Light, why it was limited. It was limited to the material world, oddly, by the church, that uh, the church would not allow the scientists to study uh, the inner world of consciousness or experience. Uh, they had tried to do that, and there were several Renaissance periods in which science and mysticism uh, were awakened, you might say, in the world. And there was a real effort to bring science and spirituality together. But uh, the church destroyed those efforts. And when the Royal Society of Science was formed in 1660, scientists could not study spirit or consciousness. So it was very, very limited. But the scientists made full circle in the 20th century when they discovered quantum physics. They didn't know what they had hit. They knew it was something far beyond uh, the limits of old science. And so now we're beginning to realize through quantum physics, of course, that there are multidimensional worlds. There are many dimensions of reality. And what is so beautiful and important about it is that consciousness creates matter. That's so important, is that consciousness is primary. It comes before matter, it creates it, and when matter is gone, consciousness is still there. So we are all immortal, and that's what our ancestors wanted us to know. Absolutely, and I'll toss in there that, you know, we, because our, our soul, it's, it's energy, you know, our, our mm -hmm. body is just kind of a, a shell for us as souls and energy, and mm -hmm. energy doesn't really die, it changes form. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is proven every day with, you know, melting ice. You know, the higher you turn it, it goes <laughs> to ice, to water, to vapor, but it's still the same energy. It's still the same compound, it just changes form. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I just got to get this. You hear that, people? The church stopped the progression of quantum physics and knowing us for who we really are. You see that? So that, that's good. I'm glad you pointed that out and gave us a, a history lesson on that. It's a so, sad story, really, a sad story, but it's it, true. It, yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, it reminded me of a, another interview I had did a while ago. And he was talking about, you know, how the the church, I think it was a Catholic church, they stopped. Um, they, they had a hand in people not believing in uh, uh, reincarnation because they were afraid, like, if you believe in reincarnation, that means... We, you won't listen to us. If we make you believe that there's only one life, then we got you. Mm -hmm. You know That's true, because reincarnation uh, was understood and known uh, long before the Roman church. But you're absolutely right about it. Uh, there were many things that, that they tried to suppress, many, uh, many aspects of our understanding, our deep understanding of ourselves in the universe. They were uh, uh, suppressed. Yeah. That's something else. So, you know, I know that you, you talking to me 
as preaching to the choir. We can probably do this all day and night. But for, for other people who may be new to this um, and just not understand it or maybe haven't believed in it or maybe they believe something, but they don't quite. So how would you talk to a new person about um, becoming conscious of your wholeness? Yes, that's an interesting question <laughs> of how, how would we do that when we meet someone? You know, each of us has our own path and we create our path to understanding. And when we begin to question, when we really begin to wonder what it's all about and is the science story correct? Is the Roman church, the uh, all of the suppressions, correct in suppressing what they call pagan culture and earlier religions? And history helps with that, you know, to study what, what did the church mean by pagan culture? What they really wanted to destroy uh, was the classical Greek culture that they were afraid of. And they also did want to destroy uh, the people's uh, rituals and understanding of their relationship to nature. So, I mean, that was so integrated, the love and understanding of nature into their daily lives. They wanted more than anything else to understand the laws of nature, to live by those laws in a sacred and meaningful relationship. And that was what the church wanted to destroy. I'm not sure how much this church understood that, but uh, it was an ex once the church gained power and was the only church, there was a terrible destruction that took place. And it's, it's a sad, it's a tragic story of how people were murdered, cultures were destroyed, um, mystery schools were destroyed. It was a very tragic time uh, in our history because there were cultures before that who, who truly wanted to have their own experience, their own deep visionary experience of reality, of the cosmos. Absolutely, absolutely. So, like, but how do we go about it? If I said, you know, I miss PhD, how do I go about really getting further into a spiritual practice yeah, that was your, your actually your original question. How do we do it? And I was saying history does help. I think when we know this history, we can really see what our ancestors experienced, what they knew. And and for me, it was it helped me to see that there was a profound spiritual experience from forty thousand BCE, and that our ancestors valued this experience, and they had uh, rituals and. Uh, uh, ways of, of coming together to experience spirit. So they had their ways. And, and it was very, very good for me to see that our ancestors had always found some way of entering into that labyrinth. And once we ask the question, they say we enter it. Now today, if we don't know that history, I wrote Merchants of Light hoping to give that history because it's very encouraging. If we just don't know where to go, we don't know what's going on. When we read our history and we see how profoundly spiritual and scientific many of these uh, scientific and mystical cultures were and how they were suppressed, then that gives us knowledge that this is possible. This is who we are. There were five Renaissance period today being one of them, of a rebirth of this knowledge that it's how to experience the cosmos or my own soul for myself. So history, at least for me, and I think for many others, it's why I wrote the book, is it helps us to know what is possible, what has been done. And then I think we, we can do something very personal and intimate, and that is follow our own dreams. That's what I did for years. I had uh, heard of Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, and I read his book. The first book from him was Modern Man in Search of a Soul. And I thought, well, I'm certainly in search of that. And so it was, uh, he talked about the symbolic mind and how that the dreaming mind can often guide us. And this is true. When I taught fairy tales, I love the story of Baba Yaga, that when the person asks the question, we enter the forest of the unknown, we go 
throughout the forest and we meet various people and animals and experiences and we're learning along the way. And we meet Baba Yaga, who is the great shamaness of the forest. We stay with her for a while and then we have to go on our way. And as we go, she throws out before us a ball of yarn or thread and we are to follow that. And I think that's a beautiful symbol which comes from our dreaming visions is that the soul will give us that ball of thread we will, as we take each step, if we have the intention to learn, to open, uh, to experience, then we will be guided and we will find our own way. But I think especially, at least I found it through dreams, and I think many, many people have, if we really can be attentive to the dreams, I wrote them down and I, I learned, I became conscious as I wrote them. So they were great guides to me. But I think, you know, in uh old Europe, which was a very visionary culture, there was the symbol of the labyrinth. And the stories tell us that if you ask the question about how come all this anyway, what's the meaning of it all? You've already entered the labyrinth and every, that's the forest. Everything you meet along the way will be a guide to you and help you to grow and to understand. And if you keep on the path, it's not a maze. It's a labyrinth. It will lead you to the center. And as you go around and around and have all of these experiences, when you finally come to the center, we are told there you will confront the divine, the cosmic mind, not as other, but as self. So it's an individual journey that it's our intention, our questions, put us in the forest or in the labyrinth, and then the teaching begins, and it's different for everybody. I definitely agree with that. It is different for everybody. Uh, and, and But I also know that different people respond to things differently. So when I was you know, young and I first noticed just the different uh, things that would go on in my life, like the, the, tele, the telepathic abilities and the manifestation abilities and all these things I was seeing that I was able to do even before I understood the history, you know, I chose not to ignore those things. Um, oh, and that's I, good. Yeah. And, and I know that history does help people and it, it doesn't, it definitely helps me, you know, back up what I'm saying about when I talk about the energies in the world. Um, but there are people who are coming from different, different mentalities and some may be helped by history. Some others may be helped by actually doing it themselves. It is an individual um, journey, but I was just wondering like if, okay, let's say I, I know the history um, sometimes dreams come in code and some people don't necessarily understand that. I know my dreams used to be coded. Um, so I would like the person, the average person listening to this, and hopefully they'll get your book too, but is there any like daily practical practices that they can start off with and then start flying on their own? <laughs> that's yeah, that's so good. I, I, it, you know, always the answers are simple. Uh, it's simply to be attentive, to pay attention to everything that's happening to us. There's so many things that we overlook, you know, that we don't see as significant. But I think that if we really think that we will live each day as attentively as we can, that that's going to tell us what to do. You know, if there is a problem, to contemplate that problem. What role did I play in it? And so on. But there, there are other things. Some people, of course, do meditation, and they find that deeply helpful. Other people say, I can't meditate. I can't do it that way. But, you know, even through athletics, running, uh, many people have had experiences with that as a technique, <laughs> you know. And also music. Music is very powerful in shifting us into another dimension. And dancing is certainly very powerful. When you dance, when you move the body, uh, you begin to feel a different way about life. You don't have the same fears or questions. It just suddenly you, you perceive life differently. Some people write, and in the writing, they feel a deep connection to spirit, and they feel it's almost a meditation when they do that. So I think, again, there are many different ways, and we find our own way. Now, since all of the brain components are connected to the heart. We should focus on that. And there is a, a heartmath.com 
heartmath.org, <laughs> in which uh, we can read about that. They've done a lot of scientific studies on the brain components connected to the heart, and that if we focus on breathing through the heart, that this helps to integrate the various brain components with the heart, and tremendous amount of frequencies are released by the heart to the brain. And if we, we just, sometimes just putting your hand on your heart and imagine breathing through it and letting the air out again and connecting with the cosmos in that way, you may not feel anything right away, but the brain is sending a tremendous amount of frequencies. The heart is sending tremendous amount of frequencies to the brain. And so then that circular process, that's a way now many people feel being in nature, connecting into nature, because that's our other body. We are actually a part of nature. Her laws are our laws too. So it's, uh, mm. I think it's, I, I don't know more to say. No, that. no, that was good. Now that, that's what I was looking for. I'm looking for the everyday person that may come across these things. I know that, you know, when, when you're speaking to someone you you're speaking because you know this stuff already. You've, you you wrote a book on it. You're a PhD. You you know it. And and I lived it before I even studied it. But to some people, yeah. But to some people, that's a little heady. And I I want people. I want more people to be more aware of who they are. And so that's why I kind of rephrased the question three times. So I because I, I want to be able to get people to. <laughs> get the practical, like, okay, what's the first step? Let's meditate. Let's be mindful. Let's think about our actions. Let's, let's reflect on what role I had to play. Let's figure out a way. Let, let's, let's um, work out and, and, and pay attention while we're doing athletics. Like I want people to be able to be mindful. It, this reminds me of um, somebody I knew and he was here. I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in astrology. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. You know, he claimed to be an atheist. And so I, I said, okay, you don't believe in anything. Religion, astrology, everything is fake. And so I asked him, did you ever um, do something different than your normal routine? Let's say you walked down up a different block because you had a different feeling. Oh, well, maybe I think I'll go this way this time. You know, and when I ask most people that question, they go, yeah, everyone has had times where they've listened to their instincts and made different decisions on that one individual moment. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. never think about it. And I said, well, didn't you have that happen to you? He said, he said, yeah. I'm like, well, who told you? Nobody. <laughs> well, so you, it, it, was, it was a feeling inside of you. No one told you. You didn't know for a fact that there was a pit bull that way, so you should go that way. But, you, but your, your soul told you, your whatever, you know, your, your instincts, your soul. So yes. he, he didn't have any words for that one. Well, you know, it, our, uh, the fact that science could not study anything but matter gave us this very limited, and now we know from quantum physics, incorrect worldview, uh, which made many people atheist. Uh, that was born out of that limited worldview. But, uh, and I think that so many are still caught in that several centuries of very limited science and don't really yet understand that quantum uh, physics just blows that up. But, uh, it's very difficult, I think, in the Western world. I think we're trying to discover, just like you gave that person uh, an example, we have to discover in our own way how to let go of that really incorrect worldview and see what we can discover. And uh, I, if I think about that, I think about uh, my husband was uh, for he, he was very kind and very uh, gracious toward me with my interest and did everything to support me. But he wasn't really interested in the, the visionary world. And I went to Peru twice to work with shamans. And uh, I, I came back and I wanted to tell him about a particular vision I had in Peru. Why I waited until he's reading the sports sections of the LA Times, I don't know. I look back at that and think that was really stupid on my part. But he tried not to look at it and listen to me tell that experience which had been very powerful for me. And then I could see his eyes kind of going back to his newspaper. And I said, Ishtvan, you're not really interested in this, are you? And so he had to admit, he said, you know, uh, it isn't that I'm not interested. It's that I have never experienced anything like that. And I don't know how to relate to it. I simply can't relate to it. And uh, well, that's honest. And I understand that. He was open. He said, I have no doubt 
that you experienced that. And, you know, it was later when our son was killed in an automobile accident. Actually, he had a vision two weeks before of exactly how it happened. Uh, and then after Pishti died, our son died, we were in touch with him powerfully. And my husband actually was the lead and the root of that experience for me, because once he had those experiences, he just, he, I remember the first experience he had with, with our son after his death, and he sat up on the side of the bed and he said, I had no, I had no understanding of what you were talking about. I will never look at the world in the same way again. And he didn't. He was, he was stronger than I was. Now, with our son, he was different. He, from early on, he was interested in these things and open to them and, uh, and found his own way, you know. Uh, so we, we are different. But I think that uh, my husband is a good example of once, how we once experience that other dimension of reality. It's like uh, you never change. You will change forever. You will never go back to the old way of looking at the world. Absolutely. And it does, you know, it does take someone's individual experience with this stuff because it's not, it's not a roadmap necessarily, you know. Um, I, and I definitely agree with you that the reason why there's so many atheists is because of religion. I absolutely agree with that. And most of the time when I, when I hear atheists, I, I, I ask them, you know, why are you an atheist? And then they start down the Christian road or the Abrahamic road or the Islam road. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why you're an atheist. So you haven't been allowed to think of spirituality in a larger context. Yes, and we now know that the first temple tradition in Judaism was a shaman mystic tradition. And when uh, much later, uh, when that was destroyed, of course, around 621 BCE, and later there were Jews who remembered that tradition. And that, we can see, is the root of the Christian tradition, Jesus actually was a shaman mystic. And we now know that there was a hidden tradition which Jesus taught. And that, of course, is the tradition of going inward. It's gnosis, experiencing the cosmos for yourself, not being, not taking the teachings or believing, but knowing. And he in the Nag Hammadi texts, which were found after World War II, there are also uh, teachings of Jesus, which the church was going to destroy. And so they were uh, hidden and buried, and we, were, we found them after the war. In that, Jesus reveals that hidden tradition. It's that he says, I didn't come to save you. I came to help you remember who you are. And when you drink from my mouth, you and I are one. So it was that deep inner tradition of experiencing this cosmic or Christ consciousness within ourselves. And it is written in some places that Jesus taught the round dance, that the round dance was a, a technique for triggering that valve open to cosmic consciousness as the Sufis when they're dancing and whirling. Uh, but definitely Jesus wanted us to remember who we are. And those texts make it very clear. We are not to follow the Christ. We are to become the Christ. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Jesus being a shaman. I've always said, you know, he's probably, he was probably a Zen master or something like that. Because I'm yes, sure. Yes, that's a good thing. to Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, the Zen master. Because I'm, I'm, I said, you know what? It's not that he did what everyone calls magic. No. He did things that the average person at the time didn't know how to do. So when you don't know how to do something, then you might think it's magic. So, you know, maybe he was exactly. able to read. Yeah, maybe he was able to read people's minds or predict things two weeks down the line. Like we were speaking about earlier. I've done that. I'm sure you've done that. Um, so he was probably doing these kinds of things. And the average person who didn't know how to tap into it didn't oh that must be magic oh my god he saw it before it was coming oh my god he mm -hmm. parted the red sea no he just manifested certain things that you didn't really understand the mechanics of yes i think that when we achieve a certain harmony with nature and are able to to live in that harmony and that consciousness we are capable of so much more than we think we are 
Absolutely. You've got to you've got to be tapped in because I think we all have it and we all use it. I was thinking about this. Like, we all use it, but we don't like I know somebody. She's not spiritual at all, but she is psychic. She can mm-hmm. tell you, I mean, this is pretty, I don't want her powers. This is pretty grim. She can tell you when someone's going to drop dead. She can look at them and tell you. And it's happened over and over again, and she's able to nail it. But she does not take that leap from, oh, I have this particular power into spirituality. It's like, oh, yeah, it was just a hunch. And she kind of just moves on. <laughs> That's funny. You know, uh, you know, this is something I, I can just tell. And it just kind of moves on. You know, well, we can, yeah, well, we can look at those things in various ways. I think that a, a, a lot of what we call magic are really uh, knowing how to work with the laws of nature on a higher level, you know, uh, and, you know, everybody, you, we have to take our own path to it. I mean, she has these abilities and doesn't connect them with spirit, but who knows, you know, what those abilities are going to lead her to, you know, eventually, well, that's true. Absolutely. And if I look at her um, numerology chart, she's going to be in a seven in the last stage of her life anyway. So she might become more spiritual. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and maybe it's maybe in this lifetime she wanted to to experience uh, something different. You know, if I think that sometimes we choose to be very much in matter to try to understand what it's like to live without that, that understanding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Everyone's got their own path. And this is the path that she wants to or she's chosen to live in the Akashic record stage and mm-hmm. things like that. So, I mean, it's cool. I mean, you know, I'm just it, it was a good example of someone. Um, I think we all have instincts, powers, telepathic abilities, manifestation skills. And we just kind of, oh, I got lucky. Oh, I did. You know, I just kind of tell. Well, oh, eh. oh, I know that so often. Oh, well, that was just. Uh, oh, what do they call it? Not an accident, a but coincidence. Uh, right? Coincidence. I'm yeah. looking for that word. Thank yeah. you. It's just a coincidence. There were so many things that happened around the death of our son and also Ishvan's death two years later uh, that were synchronistic events. And but they had deep meaning. I don't understand them entirely yet, but I know that they were meaningful coincidences. Uh, you know, for example, one thing was that my mother was killed in a car accident one year before our son, and he was in the trauma center. And when the doctors realized that he wouldn't make it, they came to us and told us that. And it was exactly the day that my mother had been killed one year before, exactly the hour, and a a few minutes after in both cases. And so I don't know what the significance of that is, but it is a meaningful uh, coincidence, isn't it? It is. And, and, and that story made me think of I had, an, I had an, um, a girlfriend years ago and um, it was a long distance relationship. She would fly up here to New York. I'd go down there to Atlanta. Um, and before we met, she had gotten into several car accidents mm. and somehow we ended up in a conversation about death. You know, that's not what I usually talk about. But there we were. Um, and she said, and I, you know, I'm, I'm scared of planes. So she's like, oh, well, don't worry. I'm not going to die in a plane crash. And I'm like, what? Like, because I didn't know what I know now. I'm like, what? Like, how do you know you're not going to? She said, I'm not going to die in a plane crash. I guarantee <laughs> you. All right. She ended up dying in a car accident. Wow. Wow. Well, then I could ask, what was the meaning or synchronicity, the, the meaning, deep meaning, and the fact that my mother and my son and my husband all died in separate car accidents, which no one else was killed but them. All three were killed within a three-year period. And so when I say, well, now, what's, what's the significance and meaning of that, you know? Yeah, it's deep stuff. And, and it's good stuff. You know, I know we're talking about gloom and, and death and stuff, but it's also good stuff. It's also, you know, things that you can tell ahead of time, like when you meet someone and you instantly have a familiarity with them. Meanwhile, you don't know who they are. But it's like right. your, it's like your brothers and sisters automatically. It's also exactly. yep. It's also the good vibrations. It's also the the synchronicities and alignments that come in a good way. Like you're coincidentally drawn to something that you would. Oh, I went left and I wasn't planning to go left, but here I went left and I found some money. Like mm-hmm. you just all these things are falling in place for us. Exactly, and I think in my own case with the deaths is that. I had always feared death when I was younger because there were deaths in my mother's family. Her mother died young. Both her parents were orphans. And I always feared that she would die while I was a child. 
And I just had to figure out, is there any meaning to it? Is there consciousness after death? And of course, I had studied a lot by that time. I knew how others thought about that, but I couldn't know until I had experienced it. And the three deaths changed my life completely because I was able to experience all three of them after they died. And I came to understand my own uh, purpose in life, why I had chosen to come at this time. And I also learned something very profound about grief. I don't look at death anymore as as uh, something dark and to be feared at all, because I realized that if you, if someone you love crosses over into the spirit world, dies, that we are obviously going to grieve. That would be natural because we love them. But if we allow that grief to really work in our lives, to to accept it, to live deeply in it. It itself will guide us to a much more joyful life. It, the, other, the opposite of grief uh, can be joy, you might say. I don't see it as an opposite, though. I see it as this is where grief will lead us. It actually has a frequency that is healing. And so I, I don't fear that anymore either. I see that it's a very creative frequency in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, nice. So, so your book, uh, tell us about your book and what's some of the highlights of that book, you know, and what, what, you know, what, what's someone going to experience when reading the book? Well, the first book is about what we're talking about now. I wrote a book about our experiences and I recorded every experience that, uh, my husband and I had, and also uh, my son Pishti had recorded his dream. So I had those, he even drew pictures of, he had uh, two dreams before uh, he died, one when he was 12. And he even drew that he was in a trauma center and up above looking down at his body and what happened when he crossed over to the other side. So he had those pictures even had drawn them. So every time we had an experience after he died, my husband and I, we recorded it. And then I spent a long time actually typing them all out. So when I wrote the book about our experiences, I had the exact experiences. I wanted to be accurate. I didn't want any, any publisher to try to make something of it that wasn't there. I wanted them to be accurate. And they were as accurate as I could get them. And that book is The Miracle of Death. There is nothing but life. And that's about our son's death and our experiences with him after his death. The second one is the one that just came out in 2019, and that is Merchants of Light, the Consciousness that is Changing the World. And in that one, I talk about the shaman mystic cultures that existed in the Western world from 40,000 BCE to the present, and how they were suppressed and repressed by the Roman Church and the uh, state as well, and yet how uh, that uh, knowledge, that experience of who we are went underground in Kabbalah and alchemy and hermeticism, uh, in mystic Christianity, and has lived on and has actually uh, had a renaissance experience five times in Western culture, the High Middle Ages, the Italian Renaissance, the Rosicrucian period, the German and English Romantic poets, and today, that ancient knowledge is experiencing a Renaissance today in so many people. So that's what the second book is about, Merchants of Light. And my husband and I actually had experiences with the Merchants of Light. And this can be seen as an energy field uh, of a of an energy field that makes it easier for us to experience these altered states, which has now been drawn to the earth. So it's a, it's an exciting time to be alive, actually, and a creative potential. Mm, all right, good stuff. All right, so where can we find your books and your website and everything, everything? Okay, the website is comlock.com, K-A- mlak.com. And the books can be purchased anywhere books and ebooks are sold. Comlock also uh, uh, is a seller of these books. And so you could get it from there. And if you want to join the newsletter, uh, we'll send you a copy of a chapter from Merchants of Light. Uh, 
Um, so it's, uh, there are all those possibilities. Mm, all right. So what, 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 what practices do you, and now you've been at this for a long time, but are there any practices that you keep up that helps keep you centered? Because, you know, we're all human. We all kind of get emotional, blah, blah, blah. What do you do to stay centered? <laughs> That's such a good question. And I do different things. You know, I think that one of the most important activities in the world is having people you love in your life, you know, uh, to love other people. And certainly within a three-year period, the, my family was gone, but there were people in the world that I, I came to love. And that love keeps us balanced. You know, it really is one of the greatest balancing energies because that aligns our heart with the cosmos. So that is one of the most important things. And there's so many ways to love. I mean, in animals and nature, that's one thing. Then there are other practices. Uh, I find that uh, the practice uh, that I think I mentioned with the uh, heart, the focus on the heart, of breathing in and out with that focus, you can also ask a question, give an intention, and you you will receive the answer. It may not be right away, but that understanding comes because when you're focusing on the heart and breathing in and out, as I said before, the, there are so many frequencies that the brain re, the the brain component that is the heart releases to the other brain components, and it's simply helps us to perceive and understand in a much deeper way. And there, there are other uh, things. One I do almost every night, and that is uh, connecting myself to the energies of the earth and allowing them to flow up through the body, through all of the chakras and the crown chakras, and then connect with the net of light. Uh, mystics have always known there's a net of light in the universe, and there are centers, centers just above each of us. And in the cosmos, we allow that earth energy to connect to that center of light in the net and then bring down that light in through the crown chakra all the way into the earth and fill the earth with light. And then we allow those two energies to meet in the heart. And that, I think, is a ritual that was probably done thousands and thousands of years ago, because the great megalithic builders knew and understood that the human being is the mediator between the consciousness of the earth and the consciousness of the cosmos, that we are the ones, the, the glue, you might say, that keeps these energies connected. So when we do that, we are also helping to stabilize the energies, not only in ourselves but the earth. But I still... Uh, Look at my dreams for when I was younger, I had so many dreams that I, that was my way of staying connected for years. Uh, now there are more, uh, I've had the visions uh, that I hadn't had at that time. And so there's a much deeper sense of beingness, you might say, in the world that helps give me balance. But I think each person can find his or her own. And sometimes they're surprising techniques, you know. Mm, yes, absolutely. Do do what works for you. You mentioned um, that sometimes your wishes or questions or manifestations may not happen right away. Um, and what that made me think of is the concept of time. And I tell people that the, the, what we think of as time is really only our own perception, because the universe doesn't go on time the way that we perceive it. And so if you want to manifest something or wish for something or whatever, it may take three human months, but those three months are kind of like a nanosecond. Like it's not even a second in, in, in a space time and spirit time. So what we yeah. think is a long time is actually instant. It's just that we perceive time in a linear form. So, oh my God, it took three months. Oh my God, six months. No, that was instantaneous. We just perceive it as six months. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, also, I think that, what I've come to realize is that it's what we know within ourselves, believe we can say or know, that makes things possible. My husband had an experience with our son in which he was sitting on the mountain in Peru and they were looking out at the ocean that met the sky. And our son said to his dad, dad, 
even that is not the limit. And I was still captivated too much in the rational brain. And I immediately just could think of nothing but limits. Oh, well, that's not possible. This is not possible. Well, over the years, I've let that go. And I've come to realize that we are limitless. If we know that something is possible, if we know that, we believe that, we actually know it, we can change our bodies even. It has, it's, we now are told it's not genetics that so much determines what happens in our bodies, but what we believe, what we believe about it. And I think that uh, I'm, I feel I'm so happy that I could let go of that instantaneous uh, negation and limitation of what we're capable of. I think our, our, our potential is limitless, and it's hard to perceive that, you know, but that determines a lot of what happens to us. It is hard to perceive for a lot of people. It's just very, very hard to perceive. And because, yeah, mm-hmm. we've been taught negation. That's our story. We've been taught negation. We've been, we've been taught separatist. Yeah. That, that the source is outside of us. Yes. We have to follow this outside source up in the sky named God. Yeah. And yes. Jesus was his son and he died for us. It's all separatist. And there's the Pope. Oh, yes, the Pope. It's all separatist stuff. Like he's the victor, vicar of Christ. You don't need to go to the Pope to get to the creator. No. And, you know, early, early spiritual traditions, the shaman mystic tradition did not think that way. God was not somewhere off in a heaven. Everything was right here in every cell of our bodies. There's, we are it. <laughs> yeah, we are who we're waiting for. Yeah, yes. And we just have to open up to it. And I think, you know, there's so many limits that we put on ourselves. We limit other people. We limit ourselves. We limit what is possible. We limit other cultures. (laughs) It's just, if we could just open up to all of the possibilities and the wonderful diversity that life is, we can learn so much more. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. This has been great. Give us so uh, let's remind us of your website and everything where we can get all of your merchandise. <laughs> okay, it's Kamlak K A M L A K dot com, and the books can also be purchased at anywhere books and eBooks are sold. All right. Well, thank you for coming off for a great conversation. And yep, you're speaking to the choir. But I want everyone to really <laughs> listen to this podcast two, three, four times if you have to really start getting into the idea that we are the one and it's not being arrogant. It's not, no. I'm, I'm, I'm God body. Oh, you're arrogant. No, it's not being arrogant. You know, we all come from the creator. So we all possess the powers. Yes, it's it's certainly not arrogant. That's a good way to put it. It's a, it's a deep uh, humility and feeling of oneness and unity and love. It's uh, it's a very it's absolutely the opposite of that, isn't exactly. it? Of arrogance, <laughs> opposite of arrogance. It's it's mm-hmm. humility to know exactly the power we possess. Like it's and the yeah, that opposite. Mm-hmm. and that every one of us possesses it. That's right, absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you. If you'd like to be a guest on Core Confidence Life to share your talents, resources, or life lessons, just go to cclpodcast.com. That's cclpodcast.com and click on Be a Guest.